I'll get on with my talk. So in the programme it says widening participation as an ox bridge, which I quite liked because that's like the bridge theme, you know. <laughs> I actually hate the word ox bridge because what is this mythical ox bridge? Is it somewhere between Oxford and Cambridge? Is it like, it's like the Nike of universities, isn't it? Oxford and Cambridge, like everyone, everyone likes it because it's quality, but it's also a little bit chavvy as well. So... <laughs> Don't tell anyone at Oxford I said that. <laughs> so um, similar to Joe, I've got a background that maybe explains why I do some participation activities. And here's a picture that was taken the year I was born in Easington Colliery while my dad was on strike. Um, I went to a normal school in Easington. You may know Easington <laughs> as the place where they filmed Billy Elliot. Um, and it's very much a uh, mining village that now has not much left there since the mine shut. Um, I did my A-levels at Durham Gelsgate Sixth Form because you didn't do A-levels at my school, it didn't have a department for that. And then I went on to University of Edinburgh, which was amazing, to do my undergrad, stayed to do my PhD. University was the place I was supposed to be. Um, I'm still there, obviously, so so that's quite good. But um, what what I guess is unique to me is that I knew from a very small age that I wanted to go to university and be a doctor. So um, I was lucky because my mum and dad said that's fine and I knew about it, but a lot of the people that I'm going and talking to don't necessarily know this. Um, so I did my first postdoc at Macquarie University in Sydney and it's quite nice that there's an Australian connection with a few people in the room. Um, I never went to Newcastle. Um, I did go to Coffs Harbour but, <laughs> but yeah it's lovely there. Um, and then I came back here because I wanted to move back to the UK to do a postdoc at Oxford University which is where I am now and these are some guys that you'll see walking around Oxford solving crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haven't haven't seen the one on the um haven't seen the one with the grey hair for ages, but Kevin <laughs> Kevin Waitley's everywhere. Um so what does an academic mean? So when I was invited to this conference, the first thing that sort of occurred to me was I have no idea what the title means. So it's bridging the divide between an academic and a practitioner, and I sort of went, Are they not like the same thing? You know, like I'm an academic and I practice like widening participation. So then I, ha I put a different kind of thinking head on, probably the kind of thinking head that you all use, and say like, oh, there is maybe a bit of a difference. So I thought I would explain what academic actually means to me. And the first thing's data, data, more data. This is radio sensitisation and bladder cancer. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that very much further. More data. This is really ugly. This um, this experiment didn't work, which I'm sure you can all tell. Um, uh, more data and more data. And that's all the data I'm going to show you today. So, so relax. Um, being an academic's fun. You're allowed to be creative. Um, Speaking of divides a lot today, people talk about the divide between science and like everything else. The divide between science and the humanities, the divide between science and the real world, the divide between science and the arts, right? We're all in it together, actually. So um, you, use, you, you use a real part of your creative brain to be a scientist, so every day I get to go in the lab, be creative and invent things, it's wonderful. 
Um, we write all the time, we have to, we have to be published to survive, which I've heard a few of you talking about today. Um, I think that you're starting to feel the pressure of that in a similar way to how we feel the pressure of it, which is constant. If you don't publish, you will not succeed, um, which is a pain, but do what you've got to do. Um, politics, which again, I've heard people talking about, and I think, I think really in every job you do, you're going to have to deal with people who have different motivations and people who maybe aren't very nice and people who think that to be an academic you have to be a real dick. Um, <laughs> not, not thinking of anyone in particular who I used to work for. Um, but yeah, and then repeat and then go on, go on, go on. And what a large part of my job is, is presenting and explaining. I have to explain my work to people who don't understand it. I have to explain my work to children. I have to explain my work to people who have cancer. So um, like this is, this is really what academic is in my head. And then to go on what a practitioner means to me, um, I, I present and then explaining. So science wants to reach a wide audience. We're really socially inept but we really want to talk to people. Like you walk into my lab and say to someone, what are you working on? And they'll go, come with me. <laughs> I'll talk to you for two hours about what I do. They love it. Um, and we want to reach a wider audience. So there's a great big overlap between that and widening participation. Because when we engage the public, we're often talking about children who are excited about science still. Um, and I've put a quote from uh, Nichelle Nichols, who is also Lieutenant Uhura, and she says, science is not a boy's game, it's not a girl's game, it's everyone's game. Um, it's about wh where we are and where we're going. And when she says everyone's game, I take it to mean really everyone, you know? And that's part of widening participation. You don't have to be a rich white person to know how to uh, grow cancer cells. In fact, it's better for cancer research if we have a lot of different people because as I was telling you about creativity we need different points of view um, to solve the problems because they're really hard these problems that we deal with um, you know like I mean I'm working on bladder cancer it'd be really nice to cure it right so um, more people the better and and that includes you all as well you know um, I, like I see a few faces go like, oh yeah, science, um, yeah, science do their thing. But you can all join in as well, like find someone, explain it to you. Maybe, maybe we both need to sort of reach out to each other a bit more because um, a lot of scientists are not very good at talking to people, um, not playing on any stereotypes. I will not perpetuate stereotypes about scientists, look. But, um, but then... Also, you guys have to think, oh, it was something I didn't like at school. It's not like that. It's not like that. Um, so a divide. Is there a divide? My first thought when I saw the title of the talk was no. Um, my second thought was, oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. So, <laughs> so I just needed to think about it a bit more. It was um, the great quote someone mentioned earlier about being very intelligent but not thinking which is what a lot of the practitioners in science are doing. We're being very intelligent, but we're not thinking about widening participation. We're just going through the motions. Um, our public engagement officer phones up and goes, do you want to come to a careers day? And you go, yeah, and you do it, and it's done. And then I do not think about what you guys like are experts in. Um, who ends up doing it? Um, 
from my department, there are about 100 postdocs. We're all busy, 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 busy in the lab. And depending on who you're working for, um, you may be under more or less pressure to give the maximum output, as in being in the lab at all hours, at all times. Um, my boss is not like that, but some of the others are very, shall we say, shall we say driven. I'll not, there's a whole other talk about philosophies to managing people in science, but yeah, we need some real managers actually. That's another crossover I'd quite like to see. I'd, I'd quite like to see some actual people with actual management skills managing, you know. Um, but anyway, I've digressed. <laughs> So um, the people who are doing it, so this is really my experience as uh, women, I've put mostly in brackets in case there are any meninists, but I don't, I don't see any. Um, and we have people who are experimenting with alternative careers, so it was really interesting what um, Tom was saying about not being able to go between admin and different areas of the university and academia and actually going going out of academia is something that a lot of people find that they need to do and um, because the pyramid narrows as you're going up in science and you can just get sick of it and you know like you might still love science but it comes a point where you're just sick of being rejected for grants and then people do do a sidestep into things like widening participation and social research and sort of research related roles um, you know like all of the different job titles I've heard today that I don't understand very well they're the kind of things that people like me can do if they don't want to be an academic anymore but you're, you're always an academic is what I'm hearing um, and also lucky people with lots of time and an understanding supervisor and I, I think I fit into that category because I do want to be a group leader and have my own group but it's becoming increasingly recognised that we need to do outreach um, to be a well-rounded scientist. Um, you know, like I could be a lab monkey and do loads of experiments, but it doesn't mean that I'm good at science. Science is communicating. Um, and like I've highlighted again, people who have no academic background in widening participation, we don't know what we're doing. So um, you guys give us the protocol and we'll follow it. We would, you know, like give us a list of instructions. We're really good at following them. Um, I always show pictures of fluorescent cells because people like them. Um, I don't do that, but <laughs> all of my experiments are like graphs, so they're less exciting. So to talk a bit about my positive experiences as I guess a practitioner is what you would call it. Um, I did the Brilliant Club, which a few of you may have heard of, a few of you may not have. And this is a charity which places PhD students and postdocs in low participation schools with small tutorial groups of um, children who, um, I think a third of them are on free school meals, uh, the, or the, a third of them have to be on free school meals to qualify for the Brilliant Club. Um, and they may be like they may be like science they may be doing really well sometimes it's students that are doing a bit less well but just need a bit of a inspiration and like have potential and it was amazing um so for me that says the kind of crossover from people who are doing my jobs in uh being a practitioner so being an academic in my sense going into being a practitioner is so valuable. These guys, that's the class from the school in Hounslow that I took around my lab, there they are in my lab, in lab courts. They had amazing ideas that nobody in my department would come up with. So we were talking about, okay, so 
quick science thing. There's like 100,000-ish proteins in the cell. Don't worry about that too much. So one, one of the students said, well, why don't 100,000 different labs all pick one protein and work on it and find out what they all do and I was like that's that's like heartbreakingly beautiful idea that is never going to happen <laughs> but you know they came up with so many amazing things it was it, it was really great and I would recommend to anyone who is doing a PhD or anyone who is postdoc or um, anyone who knows anyone because it's not just for science this it's for all all subjects and yeah it was great and Oxford has loads and loads and loads of opportunities to get involved with this and this is one of the good things about working at Oxford is that there is a massive list of ways to engage and you're engaging with the kind of people that will hopefully participate or be encouraged to participate or stop seeing a barrier in their participation and um, I've done other things extracurricular activity sounds like going to the pub but <laughs> but it means you know careers days and um, things like that and and really you can do as much as you can squeeze into your schedule um, I found that the Brilliant Club took away from my lab time quite a lot and, and I got really hectic with it and this is a problem that we have as academics who are not working in your sector is that we, we are time poor, very time poor so if someone can think of a way to, to help us to put more energy into this you know like maybe maybe a little I, I mean, I know there's not money flying around everywhere, but maybe a little bit of money, maybe, maybe a little grant, maybe a little competition, something like that. I don't know. This is, I'll, I'll hand that one over to you. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, very positive experience overall with widening participation. Um, science specifically. So is anyone a scientist? Or has anyone ever been a scientist? Or does anyone like science? Oh god, maybe everyone put their hand up. Um, so, so we've got some subject-specific um, difficulties, which is that I, I googled "is science cool yet?" and <laughs> I don't Google that every day. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, according to Google, which is like God nowadays, you know, people used to ask God, now they ask Google. Science is awesome, magic, cool. Um, <laughs> But, and, and, you know, like, anecdotally, people don't like science at school, which I want to sort of, after talking at lunchtime, sort of go into a bit more detail, which is that people do like science at school. Kids like science at school. And then they go like this, and then they don't like science. And then people do their GCSEs, and then growing up score they watch something with Foxy Coxie on the telly and go, oh, science is really cool, I wish I'd done science. And it's, it, there's, this, there's a valley, and we're talking about the reasons for this valley, um, and there's several, and that's something I think that research in uh, widening participation could help if it went specifically into science. I mean, it probably does. You guys know a lot more than me. Um, is it, you're, you're doing that, yeah? Uh -huh. Brilliant! Talking about that drop-off that you mentioned. Oh, great! Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll talk to I'll talk to you about that. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so it's something in the middle, and also girls. You know, like that's really sad. Look at my little Lego woman. She's she's on my desk. I got special hair for her. That's like my hair. <laughs> and, and yeah, like we we I don't know. I say we 
everyone needs to do a lot more. I'm talking about the media, I'm talking about teachers. Um, it's, doing science is great. People don't know my job's a job, which is something that I find very often with the kids that I talk to from the Brilliant Club. They're like, what do you do every day? I took them to the lab and showed them and they were like, you can do this for a job? And I'm like, yeah, loads of people do this as a job. But nobody actually told me at school that this was a job. When I left school, I kind of wanted to be a doctor. I kind of liked biochemistry, but I didn't know what it entailed to be a biochemist. And um, getting that point across is something that has to be done. But you know, you, well, I think everyone's I think everyone's working on it. To be honest. Um, oh, and I googled pictures of scientists, and I did this like someone showed me this a few years ago, and it was like all men. But I was actually really impressed with what I got from Google now. So you can see um, black people, white people, and there's still a lot of cartoons of grey-haired old men, but there's some women. We're all wearing white coats um, to an extent. Like, I I wear a white coat every day, but we used to have this poster at school, not all chemists wear white coats, and you can have people like rock climbing and stuff because that's science, and that's to make science cool. But anyway... Sort of gone off, gone off piste a bit again there, but but basically science has some problems, but I do think that it's improving for us. And like as a favour, I'm gonna ask all of you to sort of think about science. Like over the weekend, have like a ten minute sort of Google about something sciencey that you're interested in, and maybe you'll tell someone about it, and you know like ripple effect. It'd be nice. Um, okay, so I have to talk about Oxbridge. Um, <laughs> I've, end, I've ended up at Oxford, not through targeting it. So I was in Australia and I knew I wanted to move back to the UK. My sister lived in London with a baby. So I said I want to go somewhere near her or I want to go back to Edinburgh because it's the best place in the world. So um, I applied for a few jobs and I got a job at Oxford and I ended up at Oxford. And widening participation in Oxbridge is again something that I'm sure a lot of you have done research into and what and you know like read about and things like that. And I find it personally very hard to encourage people um, because I think I would hate it as a student. Um, I am intimidated when I walk into a room full of people wearing the, you know, the subfusk gowns um, and I'm a grown-up and I work there and I'm staff and I'm established and I'm Dr Nicholson and I walk into a room full of students wearing these gowns and I feel intimidated and if it was me when I was 17 or 18 that would have been 10 times worse, I would have felt so outside. But then the, you know, does the image fit reality? Sometimes you can be a normal student at Oxford. They make it difficult for you with all of the requirements to live and eat in college, like boarding school. Um, our PhD student moved into college for like a week and then said, no, it's not for me. And then she moved into like a grown up flat with flatmates who had jobs and had a much better time. In a way, Ox- Oxford babies the students a little. Um, You know, but there's tremendous advantages to working at Oxford. I've got access to everything I need in the lab and lots of people work there who I want to work with. And in the future, that name on my CV is going to get me what I want. Um, And that's what I want for people like me um, who've grown up in small places, um, you know, or have had even more difficulties than I have. You know, I'm relatively privileged 
even though I didn't have a rich background, I'm still relatively privileged compared to most people in the world. So um, to be part of that vanguard, really, of, of people who are going to widen participation in Oxford, it's going to be hard. Um, I put up a letter here that my PhD student again sent me. The front quad lawn is out of bounds. Only people with an Oxford MA may walk on the grass. And it just makes me go, oh, walk on the grass. I'm going to walk on your grass. So, you know, you know, you know like, um, it's, it's, it's another difficulty. But Oxford's a lovely place. And I, I, want, I want more people than the narrow band of people who currently access it to get access to it and I think it'll be an even better place. Um not gonna talk about the pig. Um so so yeah, so <laughs> what I'm saying here is that we have to overcome some difficulties and I have to believe that it is fair for people like me to enjoy that advantage as Foxford. I do believe that. And I have to succeed and make sure people know about it because I'm a bit different to people at Oxford, some of them. But um, you know, they should have a variety of people, so this is what this is what widening participation means to me. Um, overcoming these kind of difficulties for for people, um, and uh, I'll summarise. So, yeah, it's it's been a sad week. I know. I'm sorry to remind everyone of this, but um, there's been a lot of talk about divides um, today, and within my field, there are a lot of divides. Um, <laughs> I actually work at the um, life sciences, physical sciences interface, which means getting physicists to talk to biologists, which can be like really, really difficult. The physicists don't believe the biologists' data, and the biologists think that the physicists are totally unrealistic about what you can do in the lab. Um, and then, and then you've been talking about the difference between being a practitioner and being an academic and how academics may slightly look down upon practitioners whereas practitioners may be a little intimidated by academics for structural reasons there's another gap and that's between me and you guys it's not so this table is the perception that science is a separate thing from what you all do um, and we have an army of people who do widening participation in science and in Oxford and if you guys could inform us and we could talk to you and tell you what's going on, then I think that would really help everyone. So let's let's put a bridge over that gap, like like Bowie and Mick Jagger, they definitely did it there. So let's also get together. And thank you all very much again. Thank you.